The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Okay, what was it, Meg? I know the lyrics, but I can't think of the song title. Living for Jesus, of course, of course, of course. Well, thank you for that. Well done, as always. I invite your attention this morning to the book of 1 John, book of 1 John. Uh, if you're visiting with us or forgot your Bible, we'll be on page 1021, 1021 in the pew, blue pew Bibles as well. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, I don't say this as often, but if you don't have a Bible, please feel free to take that blue Bible. Uh, we'd rather you have God's Word than not, so please feel free to take that as a gift if you need a Bible at that stage. Uh, and as you're turning there, just a quick announcement. Um, I covered your prayers this week. I'm going into enemy territory uh, on vacation, and uh, specifically to the place called Oklahoma. And uh, as a Missouri fan, my claws come out, my Missouri Tiger claws come out for those Sooners. So uh, uh, you pray for Natalie and I. We'll be taking a vacation uh, this Thursday through the next Saturday, so about a week and a half. Uh, your very own uh, tie-wearing, blue-studded man, Matt Andrews, will be preaching next week uh, through First John 1, 2 through 12. Uh, so appreciate your prayers for that. And, of course, in two weeks, Gilbert will be here. And uh, many of you said, what's the process for that? Well, that morning we will have a meet and greet uh, during Sunday school time. You can pop in uh, before or after that as you go to Sunday school. And he'll be leading us in worship, and we'll have a special called business meeting after that uh, where you can ask questions, and we'll have our traditional Baptist voting and maybe some food too. We'll see. Uh, that would be Baptist, right? So we'll do it that way. But uh, you be in prayer for your church, guys. A lot transition right now, but God is still good. He doesn't change, and God is awesome, and we are grateful for all that he does. Amen. And uh, covet your prayers this week as well as we travel down to Oklahoma. And uh, appreciate the time off very much. All right, First John, you got it? You ready? Okay, let's do it. Well, uh, you know, I don't have a catchy, great illustration this morning. I'll just be honest. That probably deflates any of you who are waiting for those odd sheep stories or things that we typically come up with as pastors. But... There were three big questions that really have, as I was thinking about an illustration, what do you say on this passage? Because this passage is going to be a very unique section of 1 John as we go through asking the question, am I saved or not? Do I really know Christ or is it just something I did a long time ago and I don't know who he is? And three questions are going to confront us as we go through this passage. And I just want to go through those with you. And these are probably answered by one specific answer today. The first question is, what is the one true test that determines if your faith is real? How do you know? Is there an, a litmus test that you can say your faith is real with? That's number one. And what is the one word that shows whether you are simply a professor, uh, not, like a, not like a college professor, but just say, hey, I'm a Christian, or you're a possessor. You really know who Jesus is. And the third question is, what is the one thing that God desires most from his children? And parents, it's the same thing you desire out of your kids or grandkids. Do you know what that word is? It's obedience. Yeah, respect. Yeah, well, well, Nick, you can talk in my office afterwards. We can talk about that. It really is. The answer to what, how do you know you're a Christian is obedience. How do you know that you're not just a say you're a Christian, but you truly possess Christ or Christ possesses you? And what is the one thing that separates him, that person who knows Christ or everyone else? It's obedience. It really is. 
Chuck Colson, uh, many of you know Chuck Colson from the Watergate days. This was even before I was born, but you know his testimony that he came to know Jesus Christ. He became a, a great evangelist and, and a political uh, writer from the Christian perspective. But he said, Chuck Colson, in his, his autobiography about the, the scandal with Richard Nixon, he said, if you love God, you will obey him. He said, I thought I loved God when I was all in politics, but he said, look, to love him is to obey him, to know him is to obey him. That's why in this section, in this whole book of 1 John, you're going to see these two words used a number of times. The word love and the word know. Because love and knowledge are so wed together in the Christian who is obedient truly to follow Christ. Because John, there's a big difference between saying and doing and saying and knowing. It reminds me of a great uh, passage from Jeremiah Jeremiah 12, 2, the prophet through the Lord through the prophet said this. He said, God, you plant them and they take root. They grow and you produce fruit. You are near in the mouth and far from the heart, and they are far from their heart. Jeremiah 12, 2. And you know, sometimes we need to be reminded that if you are a Christian, the fruit that you have is a grace of God in your life. It really is. It's not something that you have done necessarily, but God, by his grace, has grown in you. And that's great assurance to you today. Adrian Rogers, I'm not a huge Adrian Rogers fan, but sometimes he just says something. You know, guys, some of you old, older folks know Adrian Rogers, Golden Throat, guy could preach like no one else. He said, study the Bible to know about God, but obey the Bible to really know God. Look, you want to know if you're a Christian today, it comes down to that one word. Are you obedient to who God says you should be? So that's the big question. Is it possible to know God, but live like the devil? I mean, really, is it? Or is it possible to know God and have no life change in your life at all after you say you come to know Christ? The big idea today is simply this. It's your obedience doesn't lock in God's grace for you, but is a sure sign that grace in the gospel has truly invaded your life. Or to put it in another way, you aren't saved by what you do, but what you do shows whether or not you are saved. Does that make sense? We are not saved by what we do, but you, are know, you will know whether you are in Christ. Look, my obedience doesn't gain God's approval. Never will that happen. That approval only comes by the acceptance of Jesus Christ purchased for me once and for all on Calvary. That is my acceptance. That is my acceptance. That's why we don't believe in penance as some do. That's why we don't have to go through stages of the cross. That's why we come to this and we know once and for all in Christ, we can be accepted. Wow. That is mind-blowing for anyone who's ever tried to please someone else. Because you know what? You're never going to do it, are you? Ever tried to please someone? Ever tried to please your boss? Well, that's great, but you messed up over here. Judy, I, I see you back there. Judy and I joke every Thursday because she prints up the bulletins. And I bring out my red pen, and you want to see Judy Sweat bring out that red pen. Because I'm not a perfectionist. I'm not an English person. Becky, Mark's wife, would, is an English person, but she gets really nervous when I bring out that red pen. Do I have any typos this week? And I miss them, she misses them, and we both sweat. But you know what? She doesn't gain my approval because she has all a perfect bulletin. We are perfect in Christ, amen? And that is the difference. So can I know God and not obey Him? That's the big question. That is the big question, but let's just review the last couple weeks. We've asked the question in week one in the first four verses of the book of 1 John, how can we know anything is true? 
John told us that it wasn't just made up fairy tales, that he was there, he saw it, and then it's verifiable truth that this man, Christ, is who he says he was. Last week we asked the question, can I know God and keep sinning? Look, if you're a Christian, you're going to sin. But the reality difference is, is how you handle that sin. If you know Christ, you will handle your sin in a different way than just someone who gets their hand caught in a cookie jar and says, oh, I'm so sorry, you said not to eat the cookie, but I ate it anyway, will you forgive me? No, Christians torn up inside. They may not ever eat a cookie again if God says, don't put your hand in the cookie jar. Do you see that difference? So what does this mean for us today? The key word is obedience. Can I know God and not obey him? Two things today. Can I know God and not obey him? Well, the Bible says very clearly, you must obey Jesus' commands and rest in full assurance of his salvation. That's a proof that you know him. Secondly, we have to love fellow Christians and walk in the light of our salvation, verses 7 through 11. John would put it this way. He would say, it's one thing to say you know God, it's another to really know him. And as we'll see in the verse three, four verses, you're going to see that phrase, no, 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 do you know him? And to help us, he's going to provide a threefold test. He's going to give us a theological test. Do I believe the right things about Jesus? He's going to give us a moral test. Do I obey the commands of God? And then he's going to give us an ethical test. Do I really, when the rubber meets the road, do I really love those people? around me in this church right now, who claim the name of Christ. And his goal, friends, is to do exactly what we sang about. It's to make us happy in Jesus. Because when we know we're assured in Christ, that changes everything about who we are. When you know you're loved, doesn't that change the relationship a little bit? When you know you're accepted by someone, doesn't that change how you view that relationship? It should. How much more as we look at Christ, that when you are in him and know it, man, that is, Matt, I'm going to use your phrase, That's mind-blowing. It really is, because God would love us, sinners such as we are. Would you join me in standing as we do at our church here and in reading of God's Word this morning? Uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. Can I know God and keep sinning? Key word is obedience. Key word is obedience. We'll start in verse 3. Reading out of the English Standard Version. And by this we know that we've come to know Him, and He's referring to Christ here, John is, if we keep His commandments... Whoever says, I know him, or I know Christ, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. And remember, that him is Christ. Whoever says he abides in him, or Christ, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked, or the same way in which Jesus walked, your translation might say. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. And verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Can I know God and keep sinning? That's the big question we're going to answer today. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Father, thank you for First John just being so clear-cut on these issues. Father, there's no wiggle room here. Father, but may we do this, may especially uh, preaching this, do this with such love and grace. For Father, that's what you've lavished upon us. Father, I pray for any in this room who still struggle or are struggling, perhaps even in this moment. Do I know Christ? Do I not? 
Father, if they're truly yours, reassure them by your spirit. As your spirit gives witness to their spirit, Romans 8 says, they will know they're children of God. Father, I pray as well for those in this room who have professed Christ, who said, hey, I'm a Christian, but Father, there's no fruit to back that up. Father, I thank you that by a sign of your salvation that you will make clear to them that they need Christ truly. Father, thank you for saving me out of that very lie as a young man that I thought I knew Christ, but I truly did not. Father, I pray for those who know that they know that they know today that they're assured in Christ. Father, may this just warm and stoke the fires of their heart by your Spirit even more to praise you for the work that you have done and continue to do despite the sin that is apparent in lies. Father, thank you so much. May you be glorified through what's done here today. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray. You may be seated. Thank you, guys. So can you know God and keep sinning? And that was last week. And, and this week, can I know God and not obey Him? Uh, that's an interesting question. We need to delve into that. And how many of you have read Dietrich Bonhoeffer? That's an old name. A lot of you guys have read Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor in World War II, and he said it this way. He was arrested by Hitler, put in jail for trying to uh, uh, do different things. But he said this about this passage. He said, only the one who believes is obedient to Christ. Only the one who is obedient believes. He's saying the same thing that John is saying right here. To love Christ is to obey him. And to know Christ is to obey him. It goes back to that key word. It's obedience, obedience, obedience. For John, and it should be the same with us, there's a massive difference between saying and doing and saying and knowing. That's why the first point you need to see uh, is simply this. You will really know if you are in him. You will really know if you are in him. It's very easy to follow. Look back at verse 3. He says, and by this we'll know that we've come to know him, if we keep his commandments, if we keep his commandments. Look, John saw the importance between the gospel's connection to obedience. Friend, let me be very, very clear. We are not saved by keeping the law. The law has never saved anyone. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, repenting, turning from your sin, being contrite, being being torn up inside over your sin and believing on Christ that you are saved. But out of that comes obedience. Out of that should come obedience. You want to know day by day that you know him? It's very, very simple. It is perfect advocacy of Christ that he saved you and that by Christ saving you, you keep his commandments. And if you're, some of you may be thinking, well, Darren, does that mean that we need to go back and start slaughtering sheep on Sunday mornings? I hope not, because well, I don't know if we have the budget for that, Steve. I don't know, uh, budget-wise, I don't know if we could do that. That's not what he's saying. So, Darren, what are the commandments that God is telling us to do? Friends, read the New Testament. They're all over there. Go read the Sermon on the Mount. A lot of us, it's not what we don't, it's not what we don't know, it's what we simply obey. Sometimes we get such a rush to get this head knowledge of more facts and, and more facts, and that can be good to an extent, but if it doesn't hit your heart, if it doesn't live out in practical living, then you have to ask that question, do I really know Christ? But he says here that, that word keep, as you see in verse 3, it says the word keep here is in the present tense. He says, look, if, and by this we know that we've come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Friends, it wasn't that one time you followed Jesus and you had a good week for Jesus. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that uh, even, even right here in this moment, man, I had a great hour with Jesus. I must know I'm a Christian. This is in the present tense. This means that every moment of every day, by his grace, though you may fail, your heart is set on keeping his commandments, on following him. 
by God's grace, the best you can. That is the treasure of your assurance right there. It's present tense. That's why you often hear me say, and I will say it clearly now that we're in a book that does this, praying a prayer to receive Jesus Christ does not mean that you're a Christian. The only way you become a Christian is to do what Jesus said. What were the first words Jesus said that we have recorded in the Gospels? Repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Friends, that's why we don't have you come up here and raise your hand and say, pray this prayer. Because look, many people have prayed that prayer, and they're no better than the the non-Christian neighbor right next to them. Can God save you through that? Yes. Let me be clear with that. But that is not what saves you. Christ is what saves you. And he says, look, if you really know him, you will follow what he said to do. You will follow what he said to do. And that's why, as you've seen it up there on the screen, if you only obey God's word when it seems profitable or reasonable to you, then that's not really obedience at all. If our kids, parents, really obeyed us when it was profitable to them, how often would they obey us? There's a lot of small laughter coming from this church right now. You know that's not true. Christ says, take up your cross and follow him. Be different from the world. Don't be different from the world just to be different. Be different with the gospel and go and obey his word when we need it. Because, friends, we need it all the time. We do. Because I know him in all his beauty, all his glory, all his majesty, all I can do to obey Christ is not a burden. Go over to chapter 5. I'm going to flip over chapter 5 really quick, guys. Look, you'll see this later on as we get towards September, but... By uh, chapter 5, verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Look, when you know Christ, it's not a matter of, I've got to do all this to to keep up with the Joneses in Christianity, because if I don't, people are not going to think I'm a Christian. Friends, if that's how you're thinking about Christ, I have a question whether you know Christ. You follow Christ because he has given you everything. And if we claim to know him, verse 4, go back to chapter 2. If we claim to know him, and it says right here, whoever says, I know him, modern day language. Whoever says, I am a Christian, I'm died, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, but does not keep his commandments is a what? It's a liar. That's a big word. Don't just throw that around very often. And the truth is not in him. Well, what's a liar mean? A liar means, what was that old saying? Liar, liar, pants on fire. That's pretty much what it is here. If you say you know Christ, but there is no spiritual fruit in your life, please hear me clearly with all love in my heart. You know not Jesus Christ. That does not mean, Christian, that you don't go through seasons of life. If you know Christ where you struggle, I mean struggle through your sin, you struggle in devotion to Christ and relation to Christ, But again, it goes back to that, what do you do with that struggle? If you know Christ, that struggle is real for you, and you're going to do everything by God's grace to get out of it. But those who don't know Christ are going to say, look, I'm a Christian. Whoop, 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 look at me. I'm a Christian. And every time, there's no spiritual fruit in their lives. Look, we are not to be the salvation police, folks. Let me just say that. I have joked with many of you that I wish I could invent a scanner that says, beep, 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 Christian, or not a Christian. That would make a pastor's job a lot easier, wouldn't it? But you will know them by their fruits. Friends, if you, look, you say, well, Darren, I don't think this person around me is a Christian. Would you pray for them? Share the gospel with them. If they rejoice at what Christ has done in their life, that's a good sign they know Christ, right? But they don't rejoice and they get mad, that's a good sign they don't. 
How will we know if someone's a Christian? Ultimately, God is the salvation knower. He, he knows. But you can know whether you're a Christian, even now, whether you follow what he says. Second, look at verse 5. You can really know his perfect love. You can obey him and really know his perfect love. God says here through John that keeping the commandments of God is not a condition of knowing God, but it's a clear indication that you do. It's a life of true worship that delights in the commandments of God for no other reason than God saved you. Isn't that great? You know, I know every marriage goes through these stages, but sometimes, you know, when you have those wedding day, you know, a lot of young couples think that wedding day bliss, is that the right word? That wedding day atmosphere. And this is why, uh, you know, we, uh, when I do marital counseling, I don't encourage people to spend a lot of money on their wedding. A lot of people will go out and spend thirty, forty thousand $40,000 on their wedding, and they're in debt that much when they go in. That's a whole other sermon. But a lot of times we get so worked up for that wedding day. And what happens? Six months on. Reality sets in. I love this person, but boy, that really annoys me when they don't put the toilet seat down. Or whatever it is. You, you know what I'm saying? You know, I posted on Facebook this last week, you know, what do you set your temperature at when you go home? We keep ours at 78, love, is that right? 78 or something like that. Some of you are like 57, 45. I'm like, glad you have money to pay that bill. But you know what's very true? If you really love that person, you're going to work through those Toilet seat things, temperature things, as superficial as they are, because you love that person. You just love being around that person, right? Friends, that's how it is with Christ. If you truly love Christ, look back at verse 5. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. This doesn't mean that you're perfect this side of heaven. We talked about that last week. But it does mean that you realize as a sinner, as someone who's trying to obey Christ, that sometimes just obeying Christ is just being with him. Taking away the cell phone, taking away the electronics. Some of you have Apple. Some of you guys have more electronics going on than I, I even know what to do with. It's a lot. But just to be with Christ. When's the last time you just were at, with Christ? You just opened your Bible, got away for a day or an hour or something, and said, I just want to be with Christ. Because, look, God will keep you as close to Him as you keep close to His Word. And sometimes we are so busy, aren't we, that we forget that. Sometimes we just need to delight to be with Christ. You remember when you first got married, if you're married, how you couldn't just wait to get off work, and some of you probably faked being sick just to go spend another hour with your future spouse? Come on, guys, be real. You did that. Maybe you didn't, I don't know, but you just wanted to be with that person. Do you miss that about Christ? Is simple obedience for you just simply, you just need to spend time with Christ. And this verse here ties it all together. John says, look, the vital relationship is knowing God, loving God, and obeying God. But what does this word love of God mean? It can mean several things. It could mean God's love for us. It can mean our love for God or God's kind of love. But in the context, it's our love for God that's in view here. What John is saying is we constantly obey, guarding his word, following after him, and doing what he says. That is truly where the love of God is perfected. Keeping and obeying God's word grows us, it matures us, and it brings us to our intended goal. That's what it's all about. Friend, have you grown cold in your love of following God because you think that by more knowledge you can get closer to Him? That's true to some degree, but primarily it's about do you know Christ by just spending time with Him? Sometimes we just need to be with Christ. B-E with Christ. So what does he say? Can you know God and not obey him? No, you can't. 
It's going to show itself forth. Let's go on to the third sub-point here. How do you know you're in Christ? You will know Him because you know Him, because you follow Him. You will know Him because His love's perfected in you. His love is perfected in you even when you sin. Isn't that great to know? Isn't it great to know, Christian, that you can never lose your salvation? Amen? Isn't that a great foundational truth of the gospel? Look back at verse 6. You can really know if you're standing with Christ. How do you know this? He says, whoever says he abides in him or remains in him or, 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 or uh, yeah, those are two good words there, ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. Now, be careful here. We are not calling for sinless perfectionism. That is a heresy. That is not right. When God saved us, he did not save us simply to take us to heaven. When God saved us, he saved us to be conformed to the image of his son, that we may be more like Christ. That's what it's all about. And friends, sometimes that comes harder than we would like. For some of you right now, that is an illness. For some of you, that is, that is a hard time at home. For some of you, that is a job or looking for a job that Christ is making you trust and be more like him than you can physically do. Friends, can God give you more than you can handle? Can he? Does he? Yes, he does all the time. That's right. Don't think that there's a threshold where God gets up and the boiling point's like 99.9. Oh, he's going to crack. God, guys, sometimes God cracks you so you can see he's the, only one that you, he's the only one that you have left. He's the only one that you ever had or will have. And what he is saying here is that a Christian, a true Christian, is someone who abides with Christ. What does that mean? That's not a word we use very often. It's like obeying Jesus and loving Him. It, it just means that you want to be with Christ. It means that you, it's remaining or continuing with Jesus. You don't run away when the hard times come. Do you remember the parable of the sower? Some seed fell on good ground and it shot up quickly. Other seed fell and it shot up for a season. And what did Jesus say? When the trials came, that seed went and wilted away, didn't it? How do you know if you're a Christian? Well, you obey Christ for one, but secondly, you also know that when the hard times come, even if you aren't trusting as much as you should, that your heart is set, Lord, help me in my unbelief. Lord, help me in my weakness. Help me through these times because I can't do it, Lord. You are the one. If that's your heartbeat, that's a great sign that you truly know Christ, that you truly know Christ. I would encourage you, I have several verses written here, but for sake of time, I just encourage you to write these down. But John 15 Go read John 15 today as a family devotion or a personal devotion. Because, friends, that is what it is like to know Christ, is to abide with Him, to remain with Him. Friends, abiding in Him enables me to live like Him. I don't do it in my strength. I do it in His. I don't have to be like Him. I don't have to be like Him to be assured. I want to be like Him and am assured that I am in Christ. John Stott, one of the great theologians of our time, said, We cannot claim to abide or remain with Christ unless we are like Him. And this next illustration, I, I may have given this before. I realized this this morning as I was reviewing my notes in Judy's office. If I have, forgive me, but I think it's a great story. It's a fisher story. Dale, I told you this was coming. A good fisherman story. It's a, it's a story about rules, and, and the picture you're going to see here is an amazing fish. You have to see this fish. It's a big fish. Back in 2010, Peter Wan and his team of anglers from Hatteras, North Carolina, were f- fishing in the prestigious Big Rock Blue Marlin Tournament of Moorhead, North Carolina. Doesn't that just sound like fun, just to go and fish there? Wan's crew landed the top prize of $1,231,575.02 in the 52nd annual event. While each man was dreaming about how he would share his money in this, I mean, look at this fish. That's a big fish, right? A lot of money. 
they found an important discovery. Before their boat shoved off that day, Peter Wan, the leader of the group, failed to purchase a $30 North Carolina fishing tag for coastal expeditions. Oops. The entire team was disqualified. The entire team lost all the money, and the entire second place team took over their prize money. Obedience has real advantages, doesn't it? It really does. You want to know the moral of the story? They actually settled out of court. I looked up the history of this. They settled out of court last year. They didn't say how much money. But friends, it just really goes back to say obedience has real advantages. Look, Christian, here's the thing. You're going to mess up sometimes. You, not mess up. That's not, You're going to sin. You're going to violate God's commandments. How do you know if you obey him? Look, you're gonna, at times going to be walking in the situations thinking you have all your ducks in a row and you're going to be no better than Peter Wan was when he stepped onto that podium to collect his money. God's going to say, uh-uh, you forgot about this or you ignored when I was prompting you through the Spirit to do this. But at the end of the day, how do you know you're a Christian? You know by the obedience that follows up that decision. How you handle your sin, Christian, is that our struggle is to obey more than keeping rules. Look, We are not calling for lawlessness in Christianity, but we are saying that you are not saved by anything but Christ. But if you are in Christ, you will want to follow what Christ says. So when that person who you can't forgive comes up to you and says, will you forgive me? And you say, no, check your heart. When that person comes up to you for the millionth time and says, why are you sinning in this way again? Check your heart. Do you see how serious this is? It gets very, very serious whether you know Christ. That's point number one. We'll end with a shorter point here, number two. How do you know Christ? Can I know him and not obey him? No, friend, if that's the pattern of your life, you know not Christ. But the Christian follows Christ, not perfectly, not always fully obediently, but the heart direction is set that way. By God's grace, we'll get them there someday. Number two, how do you know Christ? You love fellow Christians and walk in the light of salvation. And God's love, God's love, first off, has been with us since we were saved. Look back at verse 7. He says, John, it's kind of a new transition here, new paragraph. He's, he's talking directly to them. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word you have heard. John is good at simplifying the Christian life. He really is. John basically says, know Jesus, obey God, and love others. Life is good, right? That's it. And that's the theme of love. John is now going to be giving it more intense application. In verse 5, our love of God was his concern. Now in verses 7 to 11, what we're going to close with, it's his love, our love for others, that he sees as a sense of urgency among Christians. You know, there's a story about John that came out. We don't know if this is true or not. It's traditional. There's a story about John, and he was the oldest disciple to die, oldest one of Jesus. Many of you know that. He died a natural death from all we know. And he was brought out on a pallet. He couldn't move. He was so fragile in his 90s, most likely. And they asked him, John, do you have any words for us? And you know what his reaction was? He said, love one another. And they looked at each other, the traditional story goes, and they said, John, that's all you have to say? He said, that is enough if you start right there. Christian, that may be where you need to start today. Your theology may be so in line that you could put the professors at Midwestern to make them look like schoolboys when you're schooling them at the theology school, whatever. That's why he says, dear friends, beloved. He doesn't come at them and say, hey, you big guys up there. He comes at them like a father would a child. He says, beloved, 
Are you loving other Christians the way you should? Are you loving them? Because God's love has been with you since the very beginning. Friends, isn't that a great thing to know? That God's love has always been here. God's love didn't come when you hit a certain meter of excellence. God's love didn't come when you were worthy enough. God's love has always been here. I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. Jesus said in John 13, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. But where is he getting this other commandment from? Is John being senile? In his old age, is he being forgetful? Not at all. Leviticus 19.18. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am God. Friends, that's why the application point here is this. Jesus always, Jesus always goes for conversion and conviction rather than coercion and condemnation. What I mean by that is our greatest need before conversion is to realize, before coming to Christ, is to realize that when God convicts your soul, that is a time to repent and believe. Some of you here today are hearing the gospel and you say, I need to respond to this, respond to it, for today is the day of salvation. Nick, if I can use your situation, just use a visual situation. We bless God that Nick is here, amen? But how in a heartbeat, as sin- I let me just give you a person. I was here, what, 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. I was going to pick up our kids before this happened. Everything was good. Camp was going well. It was Thursday of camp, which is like the oh, day before the, the Friday. It's just everyone's tired. 15 minutes, Matt's lighting up my phone. I'm like, Matt, if you won the game, praise the Lord, but I'm picking up my kids, right? And then Darlene calls me. And when Darlene calls, I definitely pick up the phones. I know Darlene calls on serious things and simple things, but how quickly things change within 15 minutes. If you're here today without Christ, can I just encourage you to know that God loves you so much that he gave his only son for you. That is the greatest news. You never know if you're going through a window, if you're going to be hit by a car, or if you go to my favorite CC's pizza and you eat a bad piece of pizza, and that's the end of you. You don't know. And it might just be if you eat there enough. I'm just saying. But friends, the purpose that you need to know is God's love has been with us since you were saved, Christian. It's not based on you. It's based on all of God. And John says, look, you want to know if you're a Christian? Then are you following the old command from the New Testament and the new command, if you will, from the, the New Testament that Jesus said? God will always come to us with conviction. Second thing here, and we'll keep trucking for sake of time. God's love is really seen in Jesus and his followers. Look at verse 8. At that time, it's a new commandment I'm writing to you, which is true in him because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. You know, some liberal commentators, it's always good to look at the opposite side to see what we're not saying or shouldn't say. But some of them have said, well, John must be very senile here. I mean, verse 7, he says, I'm writing to you no new commandment. And then in verse 8, what does he say? I'm writing to you a new commandment. (laughs) John, what's going on? You just said there's no new commandment. Now you're saying it's a new commandment. Well, which is it? It's both. It's both. The answer is yes. And he says, at the same time, the old, old commandment goes all the way back to Moses and the law and took on new character with the coming of Christ. And it's basically this, in the new and true commandment in Christ, it's found in him. It's been fulfilled in him, in the true and new in us, that we can now walk in the same way he walked because the old commandment has become the new one through Christ. 
And it's true and new because the darkness is passing away because the light is already shining. What a great God we serve. I am grateful that God is like a scarlet thread through all the word. Friends, don't think that the Old Testament God is any different than the New Testament God. He's exactly the same. What was said back then has been fulfilled in Christ. This is why we don't need to take a little tangent here, this is why we don't need the book of Thomas or the book of Mary or whatever other book has come up in the last 20 years. Friends, we have the sufficient word of God from front to back right here. And the same commandment that was in the old is the same that is in the new, love one another. Don't just think, Israel was God's special people, yes, but they were to be a light to the nations. They were to love one another as God had loved them. And God calls us the same thing today. That's why love's genuine test is not an intensity or an inner feeling. Look, I can love someone, quote-unquote, pretty well when they do something for me, right? When someone comes over and gives you a gift, man, you feel like this rush of feeling. But it's not just the feeling that you get. Love in the body of Christ is not just a feeling. It leads to action. And many of you here today know that there may be someone you need to go up to and just give them a big hug today. Say, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you so much. Love is primarily about giving. It's an action that leads to a, a, leads to a, not necessarily a feeling, but to action itself. Look, you can have feelings about lots of things. I love CC's Pizza. I've said that from the pulpit publicly, and I will go to the day of my grave saying that. But I can tell you five hours after, sometimes I don't love, with respect, CC's Pizza. Because it's not good for your body. You know what I'm saying? Friends, in Christ, the commandment of love is strengthened, deepened, expanded, and given a new depth and meaning and understanding, never before seen before His coming. But there's more. He's the light of the world. That's why John goes on to say, look, can you know God and not obey Him and not love other Christians around Him? No, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. If you say you're a Christian and you have no love for your brother or sister in this congregation, I question whether you know Jesus Christ. Well, I just want to do my own thing, Pastor, and, and, and me and God got my own thing going. Well, you and God ain't got nothing going if you don't love your brother and sister in Christ as God has told you to. And that is not just pastor speak. That is the Bible, what it says. Look, if you have no desire to be around God's people, to shine the light one to another and fellowship one with one another, I mean, no des- I mean, literally, no desire. It's bankrupt. It's, it, it's on empty. The red lights are flashing If you have no desire to be around other Christians and love them as Christ said, I question whether you're a Christian. Sometimes that grows dim, doesn't it? Because some of you have been hurt by the church. Some of you have been radically hurt by the church, and I am sorry for that. We have not done things perfectly now. We won't do things perfectly before or after. And there are some real pains and real hurts, and I'm not trying to downplay or diminish those. But what John is saying is, it is a new experience, this love of God. It is a new emphasis, a new expression, and new endurance. If you know God, you will love those followers of His. This is why local church membership is so important. It is not just, I checked off the box of a good Christian thing to do. This is why being together that you're doing right now is so vital and so important. Let's close with the last point. God's love uncovers the blackness of our hatred. Ooh. That's a tough phrase, and I struggled writing that phrase, but it's true. Let's read verses 9 through 11. We'll lay in the plane. Whoever says he is in the light, this is someone who says they're a Christian, someone who says they're, in, someone who says they're a Christian in the light, but hates his brother is still in darkness. 
Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because his eyes have been blinded by, or his darkness has blinded his eyes. This is the third whosoever that John uses here, and he does so to draw the strongest possible contrast between the light and the dark, between those who know Christ and those who are children of the devil. Verse 9, he says, you can say you are in the light, experiencing the love of God, and yet you continually hate your brother. Again, only one conclusion can be drawn, folks. You're still in the darkness. This is why as we get more and more, and friends, some of you know this is, this is our society is closing its ranks around Christians. It has been since Christ died. This is nothing new, but in America, God has staved it off to a lot of degree. But in God's sovereignty, it seems that more and more the cultural pressures to know who's truly in Christ and those who are not are really coming out. How did those way back in John's day know they were Christians? Because those Christians bonded together. You know that fish symbol that's on the back of cars? You guys know that fish symbol? The story behind it, of course, is how do you know you're a Christian? You give that fish symbol. And man, they didn't care if you were red, yellow, black, and white. If you gave that fish symbol, that meant that you knew that Christ was true and real in your life. Friends, as our culture starts to put more and more pressure around us, the love of Christians has to stand stronger than it ever has. Because this is the group it starts with. You want change in this culture? Look, again, we are not going to go back to some great era of America. Friends, we're not going back there. Politically, we can't do it. Socially, we can't do it. The only way we can transform this culture in the way that God wants is to start by Christians coming together and truly loving each other and being there for one another, praying together, sharing together, doing all the things the Bible says. That's where the change starts. That's where it begins. And John says, look, if you say that you are a Christian and you hate your brother, not your physical brother, your spiritual brother, your spiritual brother and sisters. It's a Delphoise, it's brothers and sisters. If you hate them, you're not one of them. That's the simple truth. Verse 10. But for those who do, if you continually abide in the light, you give evidence that you have the life of God in you. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing? That, uh, God, thank you that I can love other Christians, that, and that's proof that you have loved me. Look, I understand there are some difficult people in the church right? But the thing about it is, is that even though there's difficult people in the church, by God's grace, patiently, lovingly, prayerfully, humbly, we can see people come together that should never come together. That's the amazing thing about Christ. Many of you may remember when I first came here, the first Sunday I was here, I put up a picture of the Beatles. I, I, any Beatles fans out there? Uh, some of you all are raising your hands. Some of you are like, Beatles? you like, what, Darren? What? Matt, teach them who the Beatles are, please. That'll be your Tuesday night. There's a picture of the Beatles. Uh, I forget which album it's on, but it has a multifaceted group of people on it. Sergeant Peppers, yes, thank you. There's one in every crowd, so Deb. But you know, there's a picture of that. That picture is, is, is a picture of an album. It's just where everyone comes together. All these people coming around what? Music. Friend, I'm grateful that the body of Christ knows no ethnicity. I'm grateful that the body of Christ knows no race. I'm grateful that the body of Christ knows no sinner too great to fellowship among them because we all are equal at the foot of the cross, aren't you? I'm grateful they accept goofballs like me into the fellowship. That is the amazing thing. Francis Schaeffer, if you ever get to read a theologian, this is one of the best. 
if the world does not observe love among us, the world has right to judge that we are not Christians. John is saying, look, if you are a Christian, you'll know it by your love one to another. If you're here today and you know there's someone in your life you need to talk to, pray for, go up and just right old wrongs, even if it's been 50, 60 years ago, do it today. Don't wait another minute because God is worth it. And that is evidence that you know Christ. End with this. That great hymn, Mark, we might have to sing this one day. It's a good old, it's a good old hymn. I actually know this hymn. That's a, that's a rarity, but I know this hymn. When trust and obey, you know, who knows this old hymn? Most of y'all know this. It's popular. Is that Fanny Crosby who did that? Is that a Fanny Crosby? I don't know. I don't know. I'm leaning that way too. She wrote half the hymnal, I think, but uh, when, we walk in the, when we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. That is the Christian life. If you're here today and you're walking that path, let me encourage you that that is a great assurance that you know Christ. Relish that. But if you look at this and you say, when I walk with the Lord in the darkness of His... Wait, well, that's not there. If you're walking in the darkness, friend, God loves you so much. And I believe John would have liked this song. I believe he would have agreed with the message. To know him is to trust him, to love him, and obey him. Is that the tenor of your life today? Let's pray. Father, Father, First John really cuts to the core. We know this. Father, I pray as many people are out here today, and Father, I just pray, forgive us for any sins. Forgive my personal sins. Forgive our corporate sins of when you have called us to obey and we have not. Father, I pray as we come and uh, just consider today how we have followed you or not followed you this week. Help us to do that. Father, thank you that we don't have to keep the 613 laws of the Old Testament. They have been fulfilled in Christ, but the moral law, the Ten Commandments continues. The, law, uh, the commands of Christ, the commands of the apostles. Lord, help us. Father, if there's any struggling here today, what are those commands, Pastor? Father, I pray we get busy in the Word. We highlight, we underline. Help us, give us grace to do that. Father, I pray for any in here who, who, who know not Christ. Lord, thank you that you loved him so much that you gave Christ. Father, we are a church full of sinners, but we have a sweet Savior in your Son, Jesus, Father. Thank you for each one here. Father, together we rejoice. We pray for this local body at Tower View, Father, that you would mend wounds, you would heal wounds, you would, you would help us to see that, uh, Father, whatever comes our way, that it is Christ that is most important. Father, help us to do that. Enable us to forgive. Enable us to strengthen and encourage and exhort one another. Enable us to ask hard questions to each other, Father, sometimes that really cut to the core of where we are with you. Father, may that be true, not just because the pastor said it, but because that's what your word says, and we want to follow you and obey you. Father, I pray for fathers here today. I pray for those without, uh, Father, uh, maybe praying for wayward children. I pray for them, mothers. Father, I pray for those who are, who are single or, or, or widowed or widowers. Father, wherever we are in life, may our life be just to trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus. May that be our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have you stand as uh, we come to this time, uh, as Mark leads us out. Uh, if you have a decision you'd like to talk about or something you'd like to do, uh, please let us know. We'll be down front. After we sing, after we sing our last song, we're going to invite Nelson Nisley down. As many of you know, Nelson is back for just, uh, just two more. Yeah, one more week. Nelson is, uh, of course, our chaplain in residency uh, who's serving Christ overseas. And uh, uh, after we sing our last song, very much like we did last week, we're going to invite you down to pray as we pray for Nelson. Uh, and so grateful for what God has done through him. And uh, pray for them. They'll get a few days together. Uh, but God is good. So, Mark, why don't you lead us?